those times where you go swimming in the data in the database, those little quick laps, you're going to see some of those nuggets in that data that you weren't looking for. And you'll never see those nuggets if all you're looking at is a completely like beautified chart. Hello and welcome to the shiny new object podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative. We are a creative effectiveness ad tech platform. And every week or so, I get to interview one of our industry's leaders. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Tina Tonelli, who is US and North American lead consumer business insights and analytics at Halion. I'm in New York and Tina, you're in New York as well, but we're at different ends of the state, it would seem. So it's such a shame not to be doing this in person, but here we are on a call. So for anyone who doesn't know you and what you do, could you give the audience a bit of a background? Yeah. So the journey of Tina Tonelli started um, with Johnson & Johnson. Uh, as a marketer. So I always joke that I'm a marketer at heart. So I spent my first five years of my career doing brand management at uh, Johnson & Johnson on their OTC products. And then I took a little leap over, a leap of faith, so to speak, into the insights function, which was called market research at the time, not to date myself, but I was intrigued by the idea and it stuck. So I stayed there for a long time. I've been there ever since, actually. So I stayed at Johnson & Johnson, um, specifically in the OTC group, for about 17 years. I worked so long on Tylenol that they called me Triple T. Uh, and then I decided to try something wildly different and went over to pharma. So I worked on neuroscience, which was primarily schizophrenia, and infectious disease, which was primarily HIV. So really, really different than OTC products for headaches. Um, so I worked there for three years and I learned a lot about data and doctors and advanced analytics and really got some good learning. And then I felt the swan song of the consumer calling me back. Um, and I got a call from a recruiter who asked me to come and transform the insights function at Pfizer. Um, and after four weeks of emotional processing, I decided to go and take them up on it because it would mean going to work on Advil. Tina Tinelli of Tylenol going to work on Advil. <laughs> so I went over and, and led the insights function, the insights and analytics function for Pfizer consumer. And then I've gone on a wild ride of Pfizer, GSK, and now Halion, which is this aggregate of all of those businesses together. Now we're a standalone um, publicly traded company uh, for consumer healthcare. So it's been a been an interesting journey, that's for sure. Right. What a journey. I have high expectations, Tina. So here we go. So in this last five years or so, what has been the best investment of your own time, energy or money in your career? Yeah, so it's probably not what one would think. Um, the best investment that I have made of my money and my time, and to me, time is more precious than money. Um, because we never seem to have enough of it. I definitely don't have three kids at home <laughs> and work full time. So I don't have a lot of time. The best investment of my time, honestly, Tom, are those informal or sometimes formal chats with people. And a lot of times they're chats without a specific topic. Um, they might be catching up with someone where I'm mentoring someone new in their career, or it might be catching up with someone who I haven't talked to for a while, or someone new to the organization came in and just wants to learn what my, what my particular function does. I learn so much. I make connections. I connect different projects. I learn about new people. I know, learn about projects. I'm able to share with them what I work on. It's really 
you get that informal connection that really enables you to get so much more accomplished than those three hour meetings where everybody sits around a table and doesn't get anything done. Yeah, I agree. You never know when one thing that one person says will change the course of your life, I find. And you have to be open to those conversations, right? You can just have a be meeting someone casually or, as you say, different stages of their career, but someone's perspective can get distilled in just one moment to make you think completely differently about things. So I, I, I absolutely share that view. So quick one though, how do you give yourself permission to do that? You know, Because you've got your three-hour meetings, you've got your deadlines, you've got your commitments. Often the benefit of these talks can be not immediately obvious, so if your boss is saying, what are you doing now? Oh, I'm going to go and speak to so-and-so about, I don't really know. Do you find that quite hard to justify or how do you explain those choices to the people you work with? Yeah, no, that's a great point. So I, I don't call them like random calls with no agenda. <laughs> I, I usually just call them connections. And I find that if you call something a connection, um, nobody doubts it or questions it. Um, and I'm, I just, I've been very open and made myself very available to a lot of people. Um, and I've, I've really openly and, and like I said, I've, I've been very public and open about the fact that I'm really, my virtual door is always open, I like to say to people. So if somebody is curious about something or they want to talk about something, now, granted, obviously, it's not like I, I, you know, accept anybody who comes in the door, but I generally will will try to make time for people. And a half hour is not that bad. You can make a half hour work out of a week for for just about anybody. And I would say I probably do like one or two of them a week, um, a couple of them a week with people and just learn new things or teach new things to people. So... We're going to move now on to data-driven marketing specifically. So what is your top tip for data-driven marketers that you work with? Do you have a silver bullet bit of advice, something you've learned that you find yourself passing on to people quite often? Yeah. So my my current, I would say, drum that I'm beating with people, I, be, I have a lot of drums that I beat with people. And this one, this one that I'm beating is as we have moved up the advanced analytics curve, and gone up into predictive analytics, advanced analytics, AI, generative AI, as we've moved up that curve, we've lost sight of some of the more base analytics. And if you look at the base analytics, the descriptive analytics, the performance management, the understanding how your business is, is going, the, the mechanics of your business, the mechanics of people, that is the basics of how you run your business. And what I have noticed that's terrifying is there's a lot of people who can read a graph that like a algorithm or a, a, you know, a model spits out, but they don't understand the mechanics behind it. And if you don't understand the mechanics, when you're, when your car breaks down, you're toast. <laughs> and so I think what I've been talking to people about a lot is we really need to balance and, and make sure that we have both ends of those spectrum covered and we don't atrophy the muscle at the base and the bottom because it is the foundation. It's not as sexy or exciting as AI, I get it, but it is the foundation and you want a solid foundation. So how do you make sure that you do that, right? So someone's listening to this going, and I love that line, don't atrophy the muscle. If someone's going, ah, that's happening to me, how, how do you make sure you don't do that or stop doing that? So I would say... Um, now, granted, I'm going to uh, 
date myself a little bit on time here, but <clears throat> when I was a youngin, <laughs> no, when I when I started, we did a lot of digging in databases. So there's a lot of stuff that has been automated, which is great. I'm, I'm all for that. Not, do, you know, doing major manual um, putting together of PowerPoint slides and the like. But people are afraid to jump into the pool of data, I find. Um, so either you have folks who are like real comfortable in data, they might be like model makers and, you know, the data scientists and folks like that. And then there's the folks who are like terrified to jump in the pool of data. And when I, I think you know what I mean when I say jump in the pool of data, it's like literally if your business has a database or cross tabs or anything where you can get at more raw data, do it. Get in there, see what you see, look for the patterns and data, look for the insights about your business or your consumer, but get down and dirty in that raw data versus sitting back and waiting for someone to send you a beautiful PowerPoint slide that has been completely like fixed for you. Yeah. So where where is the the line between automating the analysis of that data and at worst eyeballing that right? So sure you could get you could really get into the weeds of it and try to make your own conclusions, but then isn't a well written automation or analysis what we really need? So to help you understand what are the shortcomings of not writing the automated way through it, and as you say, getting manual with it. Yeah. So I am an eternal optimist, Tom. <laughs> and I believe in the power of and, <laughs> which probably drives some people who work with me nuts, or certainly my family members occasionally get driven nuts by that. And so to me, it's not a black or white decision. It's not, well, you either get that beautifully insightful document, or you got to get down and dirty and build it all by yourself. It's, it's actually both. So if you think about it, you should be getting that cultivated insights and you should be getting some automated things and you should be able to look at that. But at the same time, you should continue practicing getting into that database, whether that's once a week, once a month, but like don't let a year go by and you haven't dove into the database one time to see what's going on with your business or what's going on with your brand or your consumer. So if you have to schedule it once a week and say, hey, I'm going to go see what's going on with my business, or by the way, a great time to do it is if something's not going well. So if you're sitting there like, um, we're not performing as well as I think we should be in X retailer, or that particular SKU is not doing as well as I want it to be doing, those are perfect opportunities, Tom, to just put on those, what are they called? The little, the floaties, <laughs> jump in the pool, you know, and, and go swim in some data because you have, you have an actual objective to go do it. I'm not suggesting that we go back to the days when people build all of the decks themselves, no. But also we can't go 100% over to the other side where, you know, we are sitting there just ingesting graphs and charts and don't understand the, the data behind it. Because by the way, like I said, those little chats are those moments where you find things that you didn't realize you were looking for, or you didn't think you might learn those times where you go swimming in the data in the database, those little, little, you know, doing a, a couple quick laps, not, not spending all day there, but a couple quick laps, you're going to see some of those nuggets in that data that you weren't looking for. 
And you'll never see those nuggets if all you're looking at is a completely like beautified chart. Hopefully that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it rings very true with one of our things we say a lot at Automated Creative that people confuse automated with optimal. Automated is something, you know, you press the button and it happens, right? You know, we can or literally automate the production of creative. But actually the optimal thing is when you have a human brain in there thinking tangentially, because an automation is a set of rules usually set by a human. But to your point, if there's some, something wrong or it's not doesn't cover everything completely, then you're going to miss something. And you do need to, as, as you say, put the armbands on, as we say in the UK, and jump, jump back in the pool. And we think you're not going to get the best creative. You're not going to get the best result if you purely automate everything. You need the creative side of it as well. And you know, you're a different person every day, right? So you might come at the same data set or creative problem from a different angle just because time has passed. So yes, it, it's interesting to hear that from a insights perspective as well. But now it's time for your shiny new object. So your shiny new object is quite a long one. How people should use AI as a supercharger and not a crutch. Yes. So, I mean, you could just leave it there, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> just um, and scene. No. <laughs> this episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. It's actually like a continuation of the conversation we were just having, Tom. I think it's it's a supercharge of the conversation we were just having because what I what I'm seeing happen now is folks are so in love with what the the possibility of what AI can do, which by the way, I'm also in love. Like it is amazing. But the danger to me that I'm seeing ahead of us is if you use AI, if you're misusing machine learning and you're misusing some of that earlier, more advanced data and automation, like you were saying, Tom, and you put AI into the mix, it's almost like, no, I was going to use an inappropriate metaphor. Please, please it's, do. It's almost like you're giving somebody who's, who's addicted to the wrong thing, like an even more powerful drug, right? Like you're not, you have to, you have to know the right way to use it in order to get the most out of it versus if you're using something as a crutch to begin with and you give them an even bigger crutch, then you're only making the issue, you're, you're making that muscle at the bottom even more attra- like atrophied. So I am terrified that people are going to just go further up that curve because they're like, listening to the swan song of of generative ai and they are not realizing that 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 muscle has literally just like gone and withered um and one of the biggest things that i see from people and it goes back to that like swimming analogy that we were talking about um people are kind of afraid to go into the water but they and they've forgotten how to swim like people are not curious at the level that they used to be, I notice. 
and and that there's almost like a fear associated with going into the water versus in the past people would be sitting there and sometimes this would be like the hallway banter conversation or something hey what's going on with your business in in walmart this week you know oh let me go look and the person would go look and they would roll up their sleeves and see what was going on and they'd come back and be like man it's not just walmart it's also walgreens and i got an issue over here because they went in and looked at the data and they were curious about it. While they were there, they looked at something else and they were curious and interested. And now people sit back and just wait. So they're like, okay, Google, hand me my <laughs> spoon, please. You know, it's like the serve me culture versus the curious culture. So I think what I'm trying to do in my role, and I want all of us to try to do this, is how do you use AI as a superpower for curiosity. So that's what I was talking about, Tom, in the beginning of like a superpower instead of a crutch. If you used AI as a supercharger for your curiosity, which I personally think, gen, uh, like I think gen AI, like generative AI, I think could be an amazing superpower for curiosity, but people have to see it that way. So people have to get comfortable with being curious and remember what it's like to feel curious and be curious and actually kind of go play a little bit with generative AI. It's not doing a use case where everything is perfect and we have all the answers and it's automated and now you can do it in you know three less hours. It's like, no, I can actually go in there and brainstorm and it helps me like when I get stuck on something, it can help me think through things or it can help me, you know, think of the different ponds where I want to investigate. So I think people think of it the wrong way a lot of times. And I and and we have a danger of that muscle really getting a lot weaker. And that muscle is the foundation of how we think about running our businesses. So it's kind of important. So Rhoda Sally's our COO, had, has this lovely phrase, which is everyone is trying to use AI to do the same thing that we would do before, faster and cheaper. <laughs> but we're trying to use it to do it better, right? And, that, yeah. and that's, why, that's, why, that's, why, that's why I go I'm on board with your supercharge. It's like, right, okay, yeah, sure. If everyone can use AI to do things faster and cheaper, it only costs 20 quid a month or something. So everyone's going to do it. It's not an advantage. Yes. It's a disadvantage to not do it, to get to the same place everyone was at. But like, that's what fascinates us in our our insights and creative business is to go, right, well, well what can we do now that we couldn't do before? So I yes. agree with that. But I'm going to push you a little bit here. So yeah. talk to the very high metaphorical level. I like swimming, metaphors. Swimming now. analogies and all that. So why I'm with you. <laughs> can you get specific, right? Without giving away trade secrets. Is there an element of your business or a or a practice that you see people falling most foul of? Is it, is it post-campaign analysis or is it sitting through the data? You're getting back from the Walmarts or all the Walgreens. Like, just give me a specific example of whether you've seen it not done well and you would like to see people supercharge as, as opposed to the, the use it as a crutch. Um yeah, I think there's two areas of opportunity that I see and, and we don't have it like unlocked in terms of the technology at this point. And so to me, I'm going to talk about this is a potential feature application, but we have to get our curiosity at the right level in order for me to feel comfortable bringing it into that application, if that makes sense, Tom. So, uh, but I will get real specific. So, um there's two areas I can think of off the top of my head. So one is on a monthly basis, and I'm sure every company has something like this. On a monthly basis, you have a business review, right? And you, you know, the the 
the managers of the business, talk to the executives about the business, and they come in and they say, here's how my business is doing. And they present that if you're, you know, on track, off track, and why and why not, right? Everybody does that. And today, that conversation goes something like, why? And you start asking questions around why the business is doing what it's doing. And the executives who grew up swimming in that data are expecting the the team to be able to answer questions at a much deeper level than that team is able to answer because they're not swimming in the data, if that makes sense. So my point that I'm making here is, I think if you reversed your thinking and said, instead of automating everything so that the people who are coming in and talking about their business didn't come in with like something that had been cultivated by someone else versus they spent their time preparing for that meeting with a supercharged curiosity for their business that they could go and understand really quickly what's going on with their business, Tom, like at a more granular level. So like swim with, (laughs) sorry, I love metaphors. So I apologize, Tom, but like, I don't know, put the flippers on or like get something so you can go faster, right? So you can make that process of learning and swimming faster um, versus we kind of took them out of the pool and we're handing stuff to them. So it's like, how can we get them in that pool and get them swimming faster? Which I think was your point about, um, you know, how do you get somebody to do something better versus taking that job away from them. Like, I feel like we took jobs away from people and gave them to, you know, AI because we said that job was beneath people, but instead could we somehow give them an opportunity to do a job in a supercharged way so that it feels like it's so much easier and they can get so much more out of it. Is that granular enough, Tom? It's getting there. It's getting there. We're running, we're running out. We're running out of time a bit, unfortunately. But I think it's a fascinating space. And and what I like about your view is you, you're not being defensive. You're not saying, well, you know, we should go back to the old way. You're just saying, look, you know, to support the thing that you are doing with AI, actually the classical education beneath it is the, is the thing that's going to give it more validity. So the last question I have for you, I'm reading a book recommended by this podcast guest i'm sorry i can't remember who but it's called fooled by randomness and the whole premise of the book is that humans are terrible at thinking probabilistically i can't even say the word but what it comes down to is that we are totally oversubscribe our role in things right mm-hmm. so if we're a trader we make loads of good trades and we do really well but oh well i was down on maybe in a great trader or if you're an artist or whatever it is you think well it worked because it was made whereas in reality there's just a ton of random events big black swan events like, like covid for example or the, you know, some seismic shift in in the world and actually all of those things have far more of an effect than the effort we make so in an insights world which i love you speak don't realize you speak called market research that says a lot doesn't it it's marketing itself to itself yes <laughs> uh, when it comes to using ai or not or getting into the data with your with your armbands in the pool how do you approach making sense of your own data when there's things that are completely outside of the data set. So for example, oh, we saw this sales of this product go through the roof, but actually what's not in your data set is is the competitor not running ads that day or you know, they or they didn't get put on the shelf. So how do you model for that? Um, those, those bits. <laughs> Tom, that's a that's like a million dollar question right there. <laughs> so I, I mean I say I would say two things. I would say one you know, you're always going to get it wrong. 
because you 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 are fooled by randomness. Like you're always going to miss something when, when if you're predicting the future, you're always going to be wrong. It's just how wrong are you going to be? And so you want to try to be sort of within a realm of reasonableness when you predict the future. Um, the other thing that I've started to do with our organization is try to look far enough into the future that you're not shocked by things when they happen. So like we generally look what's happening right now, or we look at the next quarter, or we even call things a trend, but it's like stuff that's happening right now, or we look at technology, we're going to start looking at stuff like, what does society look like 10 years from now? What does the climate change look like 10 years from now? We never do that kind of thing because we're all so busy. But if you start doing that kind of stuff, I bet if somebody would have done that 10 years ago, they would have probably said there's very possibly going to be a global pandemic. In fact, I think they did. Like, I think there were people who said that. And there were companies that already had that in their scenario plans. So I think part of it, Tom, is you got to anticipate the stuff that nobody's thinking about. But if you think about it, you actually would anticipate it. I think Amazon do a, a regular thing every year. I mean, it might be fiction, but I heard, I read that every year they go, right, what's going to destroy Amazon this year? Is it a pandemic or is it like a war? And, and then you need to have a plan in place for when that thing happens. So you're actively working out when your business is going to fall over and then you make a plan for when that thing happens yeah. and when that event does. You're like, oh, who had the thing about uh, Godzilla? Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> We've got the Godzilla plan. Like it's yeah. already locked, you know, like... It's the, it's the gift of hindsight for, uh, in foresight, I think. Like, you always say, oh, if we'd, all, if we'd only thought about this, you know, 10 years ago, if we'd only had that gift of hindsight, it's, I, I, I'm excited by the idea of putting yourself into the future because guess what? Some of this stuff is pretty freaking predictable. Like, the climate, if you look at it and go, okay, well, here's what's happening. Yeah, it's probably not going to slow down. Like, there's stuff that's obvious, if you really look at it, Tom, and so doing that and giving yourself that moment, it is a little depressing. <laughs> but if you look at that future straight on in the face and then say, okay, that's the future. What am I going to do now to get us ready for that future? It's really eye-opening. And so then you're not caught up in the, is it 5% or 10%? Or is it, you know, what is the respiratory category going to be this year? It's not mm -hmm. like that. It's more like, hey, we really should be thinking about this. You know? Yeah, and it, it harks back to a conversation I had with Rebecca McCowan, who's a design director at Coke in Europe. And she was talking about, from a design perspective, talking about slow design. Like, how do you design a brand to grow over a 10-year period? You know, it's not mm -hmm. like... Yeah, Meta have released a new format and everyone's going to rush in there and produce their like 3D GIF in the metaverse or whatever it is. It's like, no, no, come on. These things aren't going to change. Like, how is this How is this visual going to be iconic and last for a 10-year period? Yeah. I think that sits, sits quite nicely along your like, well, you know, what is definitely going to happen? And, and oddly, I in chats with people about their own career planning and stuff, I'm always like, well, look, what's small now that's going to be massive in 10 years' time? Like, and go there. Right. Yeah. Because if you get on the train now, well, it's it's growing fast but small. Then you'll be you'll be on the you know the most exciting thing in ten years' time. So it's really 
good to have this conversation and you've you've provoked a lot of thoughts and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna start throwing swimming pool analogies around to make myself smile and smart. So Feel free. We call them armbands, right? So I I'll I'll start calling them arm armbands instead of floaties and then I'll sound very floaties, cultured. Yeah. Floaties <laughs> floaties has a very unpleasant uh, English. Oh that's um, something totally but, <laughs> but I will um I will discuss off air. Anyway, this podcast is going, armbands this, this, armbands this podcast has gone wildly out of, out of, out of control. <laughs> I was expecting it though. All right, Tina. Sorry. So final one. If someone wants to get in touch with you about floaties or anything else, where's the best place to do it? And what makes a message to you that you respond to? Yeah. So um, I'd say the best way is my email at Haleon. So it's tinaxtinelli at haleon.com. Um, and what tends to work for me is... Um, I'm a sucker for people looking for advice or perspective because I like to make things better. Um, so that tends to work versus it's almost like the pull instead of the push tends to work better for me. So if there's something that you're working on that's going to make the world a better place or help people and you want some help in making it better, that usually is more of a siren song for me than like, hey, we've got this new great thing that's going to like grow your business tenfold. Like I have a lot of those. <laughs> um, it's more the other that that tends to get my attention. Brilliant. I think that's great advice for anyone writing messages to anyone. So thanks for that. Tina, that was a lot of fun. And unsurprisingly, so many lovely things to take away and remember. I really appreciate your time. Excellent. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Tom. Take care. Hi, just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.